0: Hello and welcome to the Now Showing podcast. This is your host Sam. You're listening to Series One, Episode One. I've never seen Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Normally we like to keep our episodes to about an hour long, but this came about two hours, so we decided to split it into two parts. The first part is available on Spotify and iTunes and wherever you get your podcast now. That was looking at uh, news and the podcast itself, whereas this part two will be looking at the films. This is our, my review and John's review of both Blade Runner and its recent sequel. And yeah, at the end of the episode, we'll be looking uh, at what we're going to be doing next week. And enjoy. But now that's the end of a ramble, and we're going to get into the uh, the main juicy bit of the uh, the podcast. We're going to be talking about the two films that we've never seen. Uh, We're both going to give our thoughts on uh, Ridley Scott's uh, 1982 uh, classic, um, cult classic, Blade Runner, Um, and we'll be giving our thoughts on the 2017 sequel Blade Round 2049 by uh, Dennis Villeneuve. is that how you pronounce
1: it the that's another thing I don't know uh, I don't have to pronounce that I also I'll go for Waiver. yeah there was there was other stuff that I realised this week that I didn't know how to pronounce uh, like Spike Jones I always said Spike Honze or Johnze or something I don't know and then there was something else as well that I realised that and that was it it was from Lady Bird as well um, I used to I well, this which was ages ago. I used to call us Sayorse Say Ronan. So there's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot so, of people with we have we've named that is don't uh, know how to pronounce.
0: <laughs> Saoirse is is like that is the worst name ever. It's like the Siobhan, yeah. isn't it? It's like yeah yeah. See Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I I'm gonna give uh, some some quick talk uh, before we get into the meat of spoilers. Um, so Blade Runner came out in 1982. Uh, I'm going to have in the description timestamps, so if you want to skip past the Blade Runner um, review, that's fine. Um, we're going to be talking openly with spoilers for the Blade Runner review. However, we will be issuing a spoiler warning at point of the Blade Runner 2049 review because we understand that. So, film film's 23 years old, so some people may still want to see it but haven't. But if you don't want to hear about Blade Runner and you still haven't seen it, it's not in A2. You know. Like I'm not watching. Spo- like, I'm not going to be apologising for telling spoilers for a film that came out. Um, you know, today, how- however many years. Right, ago.
1: spoilers. Citizen Kane, right. So you ca- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like, well,
0: oh god, I didn't realise that Dorothy actually went to Oz. Oh, it's like, but so okay. So we're getting into it. If you want any spoilers, skip to the end in the uh, in the description. But yeah, spoilers starting now. Um, so I'm gonna first talk about my thoughts on Blade Runner. So i had never seen, ever seen it. I, I, I actually did have some thoughts on what Blade Runner was, and I was wrong. I was in the impression that the twist of it was that it, he, went the kind of trying to Truman show, realizes that he um, isn't real. It turns out that I was getting mixed up, and what the reference that I picked up on was the scene when the uh, the main bad guy, the uh, Roy character, um, Meets his his actual physical maker. Um, so I actually, but so I didn't really have many thoughts on uh, Blade Runner coming into it. Um, obviously, except for recommendations of friends, and I've actually heard a lot. had heard a lot of people say that 2049 was better, and there was one of those ones where there was debate between the sequels. I knew about the cut problem, which I'll come to in a second, uh, the various cuts of the film. And so I came in here with a pretty open mind, and yeah. So I know the film came out in '92 with the theatrical version. Um, with overcut um uh voiceovers narration from Harrison Ford I believe he he does mm-hmm. it yeah. um and then the um at the end it ends on a happy ending they leave uh from the there's there's a lot of changes and scene to cut but you know that's the beginning it has narration throughout and the end after they leave the lift um it, it, it they run off into the sunset uh, I knew that there's also was a, a kind of uh, some sort of work print cut that that he made. I think Ridley Scott uh, made to a degree, but it wasn't exactly what he wanted. That I didn't have v- VFX done well. That got released in some point in the 80s, um, and then he released a director's cut. Well, they re- a director's cut was released in like 1992 or something that he didn't particularly agree with. It was kind of falsely named the director's cut. And in 2007, he did his own really scott got full creative control over a version of the film that he considers that the version that he wanted the audience to see the version that he always wanted which didn't have narration which ends at the uh left scene has updated cgi and um last night i um went out i messaged uh, jordan uh and uh or, or jl and i uh, i said what what version did you watch um because you know our, our reviews might be different based on what we saw and he said leave it to tomorrow so now i guess it's a time where i guess it's time to ask each other which version did you watch what version of the film did you watch Cause i watched the final cut um because i looked on reddit and i saw that people said that it that is how he intended the film to be watched um so it had the updated cg and stuff and, and, the, and the narration so what version of the film uh of its four versions which one did you watch Uh, I
1: also watched the final cut. uh, Really? That makes it less interesting. (laughs) Yes, but I did so because... So, I knew that, obviously, there's there's this issue with the cuts. And, um, yeah, so a friend of mine who has watched the original Blade Runner before uh, and recommended it to me and has recommended it to me for a while now, um, I mentioned to him fairly recently that I was going to be watching it at some point, and he basically said... Yeah, it has to be the final cut. Um, so I just kind of went on, on that basis. Obviously, there's... I, I, I've obviously read about um, people talking about how Ridley Scott had, uh, you know, intended for this version to be, you know, the true director's cut of the film. Um, and from what I've also read, there was, you know, the narration, which for some people made the film a bit easier to follow, but also... You know, that if that's not the the true intention of the director then then sure I, I won't uh I'll watch that version. It's also kinda of similar, just I don't I don't wanna keep rambling, but just a, just a quick thing to mention is that I've not seen obviously there's the Snyder cut which is coming out next year, um, which is you know, that's a bit of news we missed out on earlier. Yeah. Um and I've and so not seen Josh I've not good. seen the original version of that film and to be honest, I'm kinda of just gonna wait for the director's cut. The Schneider cut to come out and just watch that. Um, yes, same here, I don't really see the point of watching. I mean, I know there's a lot of films, and we talked about Marvel before, and, you know, there's probably a lot of Marvel films which the directors have wanted to have more creative control with. And Spider Man 3, know. for example. Yeah, well, yeah, but even even just like MCU films as well, like, there's probably films there that, you know, if the director had free control, would have done a lot of different things with. You know, if he'd, obviously the Edgar Wright and Ant Man, which we never got. Um yeah. And there's a bunch of other stuff like Deadpool, which has been Deadpool Two and stuff like that, and there's loads of stuff behind that. But in terms of like, um, in terms of this film, I just thought it was one of those films where, especially just a classic film, I just kind of felt obliged almost to to watch the the version that the director had intended for the audience to see, and it kind it's kind of a blessing really. I hadn't seen it before because coming into it, watching that version, I feel like I got the best experience out of of watching it.
0: Yeah, and there was points in the film, especially early on, where I thought, oh, God, I've made the wrong mistake here. You know, I should have um, gone for the um, theatrical cut because I, I think the narration maybe would have made it a little bit more under- easy to understand. Um, yeah. But then towards the end of the film, I feel that, like, okay, the plot, I, I we'll get to it in, in the positives and negatives in a second, but the plot is at points muddled. Uh, there are details that are perhaps hard to follow, at least for my, my monkey brain, I uh, just couldn't really get my head around some parts and some things, but I felt like even without narration, uh, they were justified by the events later on that now I know exactly what happens in every scene after watching the film because now I know retrospectively how it lines up. I think it just is a lot of patience. Eventually it will make sense. It's just that maybe it doesn't make sense the first time over. There was points where I was questioning, thinking, like, who's he? Who's... Wait, why is he involved? What, what, what? Mm-hmm. And then later on it came Seeing look, That my review of the of the film was very very different. You know, I was kind of when I was watching it with the more analytical eye than I would if I was just casually watching it. um, Halfway, you know, I was thinking halfway through about how I was going to do the review or or towards the maybe. Two thirds of the way, and I was thinking, okay, I'll well, talk about this being good, this being good, this being good, but talk about this being bad. And I was going to kind of thinking about kind of the plot being the, the weakness, which arguably the plot is one of the weaker th- feel, things about the film in some ways because of just how good the uh, the, the music and how good the effects are, uh, the upgrade effects, the, the cinematography and the lighting and so on and so forth. But the film, I feel, really, really justified its plot and the detail and the uh, maybe sometimes uh, haphazard cutting like it went between storylines quite randomly and I think that my review changed on, on the last minute especially the last scene when he's fighting Roy my opinion of the film changed completely I was like this is excellent actually this is really really well done and it was one of those times where the film ends and i just didn't move for like a good 10 minutes i was just like thinking like what what actually, what did i just watch like i don't exactly know what that was but that was excellent um, and and i think that the last third of the film really 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 kind of retrospectively made me appreciate uh, the plot and, and the first two acts of the film but it was just when we're talking about the positives you know the 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 biggest things that stand out to me is it's the absolute a1 crash course on world building in that the first film is you know um, it's not that long it's without the credits and stuff and the text it's probably about an hour and 45 hour 40 Um, and in that hour 40 which is you know nowhere near as long as modern films are you know take the the, um, the star wars franchises World building, you know the sequel trilogy to compare. Obviously, it's hard to compare a 1982 film to uh, to a 2017 one or whatever. But the job that Blade Runner does in world building is absolutely excellent. In that, like within the the shots, the uh, the big um, massive wide shots of the uh, the of the the city and the kind of style Neo Tokyo with the rain and the kind of that kind of thing, and the street scenes of the vendors. It's just it was just so excellent at presenting this landscape this cityscape this um futuristic kind of semi cyberpunk semi dystopia um in in such a great way you know it it really feels like after that first film you know we are i guess at a slight disadvantage in a way in that we watch the two films essentially back to back you know one day after each other um because you know It'd, it'd be easy to talk about, I feel. like Even if I hadn't seen the second film and the short films between them, which we'll discuss later, even if I hadn't seen those, just this hour 50 uh, of cinema presents this so coherent world that there's so much that is so easily... You could look at any picture and say that looks like Blade Runner. It just creates this vision, this vibe that is so distinctive, it's so iconic. It's it's really, really... That, that's, that's probably the... Peak of the film is just—it creates this amazing world, and this like—and the top of the the food chain, the 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 rich with their the, the palaces and those kind of Egyptian-style filled with like this beautiful, bright light, um, and the poor people living in—it's always rainy, it's always miserable, and there's always a, a spotlight on them. Um, it's it's like there's always you know those big Coca-Cola adverts and the Atari adverts that make it look so 80s, what what also being so ahead of its time, futuristically. Um, it's just, I, you know, I could I could spend an hour just talking about how I love the the feel of the Blade Runner films, um, but it's just that it, for me stood out uh, on, on a level that you know it's just it's just it did what so many films and so many sci-fi films dream of doing of just capturing the audience and giving them the this this kind of overarching cityscape this 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 little universe without having to go through all the effort of, of forcing them onto new planets and stuff you know it was just. You know, I could talk about it for ages, but that was one of the, the best things, you know, about the film. The soundtrack is so, it's so fits. It, it's so, doesn't feel like at any point it's encroaching on the action. It's just this beautiful incidental music that just fits with, you know, the emotion, the vibe, and how things change. It just, it just really, you know, and I guess you could say the exact same thing. I think even you could argue the music's better in the next one, but beautiful music the lighting you know it's hard to find a better executed example of you know this they, they, you could show easily show this to film students you know what i mean this is um like basically you know like the, the use of lighting as a narrative um object as a as, as a narrative push is so clear you know when you especially when you think about those like egyptian palace kind of style scenes with the terrell company uh compared to, to the the absolute opposite with uh jf sebastian's flat and, and the apartment building and the rainy fight scenes It's just like you know such a uh, maybe simplistic but clear use of lighting techniques um, it just it really created this good bleak outlook um, and you know it, it's maybe a problem I guess with the final cut was that sometimes it was a little jarring when you were having these kind of like inside the Terrell company with it, it was really bright, light, uh, bright lights and really um Kind of authentic look, and then there was like, next scene there was like a some like kind of two thousand and seven CGI flying past the window that did points take me out of the immersion a little bit, but it, it created these these and and with JF Sebastian I just meant that when he has his flat it just is so you know the the creepy dolls he has uh, walking around whilst they are childlike they're very much those Victorian style. Um, you know, like woman in black style, those creepy dolls. It just instantly kind of gives you this feeling of uh, of that something's wrong, something maybe slightly morbid. It, it's just, I think it's just it's so good at, at just creating this iconic feel. That's you know, I, could, I said the same. I'm going around in circles really because it, it can't be uh, overstated of just of, of what it does in that in that sense. And you know, and there are problems with it um we're in that maybe say the plot but it presents this really good message you know in its in all and whilst it's a, a kind of sci-fi film it has some real important um psychological and uh, philosophical questions you know with the uh the concept of, of the robots having memories if you know if you walk like a human talk like a human eat like a human why aren't you human kind of feel especially that you got from the character i've um can't say i remember her name the one who uh, was sitting on uh, his shoulders with the big eye makeup in, in Jeff Sebastian's flat. Um, she kind of, uh, she had that kind of, that, that thing. Of, I think, I think she said, I think where I am. And, and oh, yeah, yeah. Is that cream? Yeah. Is, is she called? Yes. Yes. That's it. And in, I think that the, the last, the, the kind of the ending, less so with the the, the, the kind of the, the crucial scene of the film where, um, the, the blade runner himself, um Rick Deckard, is with um, Roy, the uh one of the the robot people and um and he he's standing there and he's talking about his memories and um and he, he saves him and it's just like it's really emotional scene. I, I uh I honestly like I one I halfway through I was kinda of happy that I had this hot take of like oh maybe it's not as good as I thought but in the last act it completely just Blew me away, and it just, it's just it's an excellent film that I think that I'm so so ashamed, like, it took so long to see, and the, these it, and it really makes you sympathise for the the robots, the uh, the replicants as they're called in in the franchise, um, and, and I think it did quite a good job of it, it. You're using their robots, but they're played by humans, so you have to you they do a good job at the beginning of the film in making you convinced. That these replicant, these act human actors aren't human, and then the, the end of the film does a good job in the reverse. Now, you, now they're robots. Then it then rehumanizes them, makes you feel sorry for them, and, and make you realise that you know he, the 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 act of Blade Running itself is um, immoral, and and um, and just the, the 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 little visual cues like the unicorn, you know, and and, the, and him making the little uh, toys, his his partner making the little toys. And it gives it gives this film this lovely open note of like, is he is he a replicant all along? And and I think the second film does a good job of not answering that question. Um, but you know, and I it's a shame that Ridley really Scott actually, if you listen to looking at interviews, I've done my research after that he does say, yeah, I actually did want uh, Deckard to be a, a replicant, which is a shame because I liked the open endedness of it. But the idea that he can that, like he has his input dreams, but I just think that. Despite some early confusion, it's justified by the end. It's a proper nine out of ten, ten out of ten film um, that just does. Uh, uh, and I'm going to say it one more time, just for the last time, an unbelievable job of world building.
1: No, I, I agree completely. I think, at least on the world, the world uh, building front, anyway, the you know the, 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 from the beginning of the film, you get this sort of, you just kind of just you kind of casually just thrust into this world, and it's like you don't have. There's not real like obviously with the final court as well. There's no real like narration. There's no real exposition. There's no you know. This is blah blah blah, and we're in this place, and this is actually you know you just you kind of just thrust into this world, and the world is so so like amazingly built and constructed as you've said. You've got like the beautiful like the lighting and the uh, the smoke and the fog and this kind of just urban feel to it and like the neon signs as you mentioned with like the kind of cyberpunky like elements to it like the world is just so like easy to identify as you as you said and so like iconic now and i think i think that's just something like really testament to not only like ridley scott and, and the direction but also like the set design the pro- like the production design costume, like everything like that were just spot on I feel like Um, and obviously it's just, you know obviously it comes back to the the book that it's based on Um, but I feel like as you mentioned with like the plot it kind of is muddied at certain parts and I don't know how to word this in a way which doesn't come across as like completely negative but like there were certain parts for sure where obviously there was in- ambiguity intended and, you know, you can take the word of God after the fact it Ridley Scott, you know, says that Deckard is supposed to be like a replicant or whatever. Um, but, like, there's certain parts to me that just felt kind of... Unnecessary. No, not un- not unnecessary because they're, they're like... They do have a purpose in a narrative, but it's kind of this idea of... Obviously, the, like... The ideal form of cinema is to have, like, show-don't-tell kind of thing, and that's, you know, obviously borne out in the lack of narrative in the director... Well, in the final cut um, of, of Blade Runner. But this there's, there's certain moments in the film where I, I was left so... Con- not confused, I wasn't, like... I wasn't lacking understanding. It was just kind of like this kind of sense of, wait, hang on a minute. Does that mean this or that or? Yeah, I felt and that sometimes
0: it wasn't It wasn't like talking each other. <laughs> it was only when it the it was explained later on that I retrospectively could put piece it together. It was only sometimes where there would, is that her? And then five minutes later, oh yeah, that was her. Yeah, and then there's just like certain
1: parts as well where. I don't know, especially... I mean, we're obviously going to talk about 2049 um, after this, but at least for me in the original um, Blade Runner, there were certain parts that I just didn't like, like, artistically, cinematically, structurally, whatever, like, whichever sort of category applies, because there were certain bits in the film, for instance, um, there was, like, a slow-motion sequence at one part, um I don't know if you remember it's when
0: um when he's
1: shooting the the woman in the he's uh... yeah when he's when he's shooting the woman I forgot what she was called um the yeah. first the first well i think it's the first person that he like retires the first person that he like chases down yes um and it's like a slow motion sequence, and like the very end of the slow motion sequence was really really well done i thought like the the glass breaking and stuff and it was kind of this um You know, they had, like, the the glass shattered around her and that was, like, really, really well done, I thought. But there was, like, a part before that where she was, like, running through in, like, slow motion. And I just... I just was not a fan of that at all. Like, it just completely took me out of... There were certain, like, moments like that in the film, I thought, that, like, the way they were presented just completely just took me out of the the story. Um, There was, like, another... There was, like... And also, there was, like, narrative points that were like that, not even just the way they were presented stylistically, but, like, narratively as well. There was, like, a zoom and enhance, like, typical, like, 80s sci-fi thing that, that happened at one point. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I thought, like... Obviously, we'll talk about this again, as I said later, but there was there was a kind of similar moment to that in 2049, which I thought was done a lot more, like... Realistically, and a lot more, like it felt more tangible that that would happen. Whereas, like in in this in in that scene especially, like that, that that just sort of took me out of it as well. um But I don't know. Like overall, I did really like the film. But I f- kind of fear, which is what I I did kind of allude to this earlier when I talked about. Um, I I was going to mention this earlier, but I thought it would be best to mention it now. Was for example when I re Star Wars well when I watched the original Star Wars films properly for the first time like fairly recently there was like parts of me where I was like this film is so well made and like you know as for the time this must have been revolutionary the effects and you know the scale and stuff and like the way that they're going, trying to go about creating this world and uh, the narrative and the the themes and like what's supposed to be taken them out the messages of the film but then there was also part of me that was thinking you know if this obviously you can't compare like this film to like now because the the effects and you know the budgets and stuff of these films have just gone up exponentially and you know it's, it's not really fair to compare them on like a level playing field in that sense but like there's part of me that thinks am I just liking this film because almost because it has this like cult status yeah because like, it's supposed to yeah because like like with Shawshank, for instance, like part of me followed that with that as well, in that it's this classic film that everyone loves and that everyone's got respect for. because like, with Blade Runner, for example, when Blade Runner came out, it opened to like really bad box office, like critics' reviews were really mixed and like there's a lot mm-hmm. of negative reviews and like it does have this cult status now where it's kind of come to be admired. And the one thing I do I do agree with like some critics on and did sort of take away from having watched the film was the kind of timelessness of it although it's set in like supposed to be set in like a future you know um, 2019, November 2019 well, well, well yeah obviously it's supposed to be set in like a future but from that perspective of like the 80s yeah, yeah. Or whatever and like I do get that sense of um, I forgot what I was saying now <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, timelessness. So, yeah, exactly. So there's this... This, like, story has this kind of timeless quality to it where it could be set in, you know, the far, far future. It could be set, like, now, and it could be set in the past or whatever. Like, it does have this kind of timeless quality to the film, which I think works really well. And, like, there's certain messages, like, especially, like, the socio-political messages that come from that film in terms of, like, the replicants, the, you know um AI and like you know these human slash you know whatever their cast does, like that's kind of the big dilemma of the film in a way like what do we you know how do we classify the, the replicants what you know are they human because obviously that is like the more than human more human than human um message yeah. that, that is like portrayed throughout the two films um and it is that like this timeless story, which does translate really well, which I think is, you know, in a way why something like Shawshank and the original Star Wars films is still so, like, admired because there is that timeless nature to those films. But I do also worry that there is this... um This sort of thing in my head where I'm like, do I like how much if i'd have not known this film was like so revered if i'd have just been given this film and said here's a 1982 film from where this got and that's all i got had to watch it with nothing else no you know appreciation acknowledgement of its status or whatever i don't know if i would have enjoyed it as much i don't know but i mean that's just i guess that's just part and parcel of media in that you know have to take it in the context of when it's produced, how it was produced, why it was produced, and stuff like that. But I do get the sense that, at least in comparison to 2049, I did enjoy 2049 more, but maybe that's just because of the era that we've come up in with these... I don't know, the, the, the story of, of Blade Runner was... I feel like it was a bit more muddled and a bit weaker than 2049. And no, in the grand scheme of things, in Blade Runner, the original film not very much happens really like mm. in terms of like a narr- in terms of the, the actual narrative like there's not it, the 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 main premise is Harrison Ford plays a guy who tracks down four people Do you know what I mean like there's not as much to the story which i f- yeah. feel like why some people really really like it because you are able to translate and sort of transfer your interpretations and, um, as I said, it is so timeless that you can sort of apply it, especially, like, in the modern day. You know, you've got – it's supposed to be set in 2019 and we're now in 2020, and obviously the futures of, like, flying cars and all that sort of – and, like, humanoid AI and stuff isn't necessarily true, but there's still this – there's still like the themes of like wealth disparity, as you mentioned with like the poor people like down below and like in these sort of slum areas with like smoke and fog and sort of more urban. Then you've got like more political issues of like, um, you know, the nature of humanity and AI and, you know, with our future, that's you know, potentially on the doorstep, what's like the future of that? Um, I don't know. It It was an interesting film. I did, I didn't not like it. Like I did enjoy it. It was a good film. I just thought there was certain parts where I was just like, "Why is this happening?" Or like, "What? What's the purpose of this part?" Or um, I don't know. I don't like. For example, what did you think of? It took me a while to to really appreciate the scene. I think maybe it clicked more sort of instantly for you, but that last scene with Roy when he's being chased through the apartment, um, Mm -hmm. what did you think of that?
0: Well, uh, for me, at least
1: anyway, it just kind of felt... It felt too strange.
0: Yeah, I I did... um, I guess one problem I had with it is that the... um, It so quickly turned from... um, Roy being chased, to then suddenly he's the one that's attacking, and that you know, like narratively like, I was a bit confused, like who has the upper hand in the situation. But I think um, it was maybe yeah, slightly over the top. I think maybe I was thinking while you're talking about the, the flaws of the film, um, and one of the things I feel like is that maybe the uh, a lot of the violence I felt was quite over the top, um, and I think that that scene was no different with the with. I don't the know,
1: like with the violence as well because obviously in the final cut there's a couple of bits that are different um, so there's the the killing of Tyrell which is obviously more graphic and uh, I think the death scene for Prim was also a bit more extended in the final cut if I'm not remembering that incorrectly I think there's I think that that sequence where she's on the floor is longer in the final cut than in the, the theatrical release mm. um, but as you say there are all like but I don't know, like there were certain parts of the film this was like another part of what so I I would give this film, I think, I've not written a review yet for it on Letterboxd or anything. But you said you'd give it a four half slash five, sort of that area. I'm more leaning towards a four, but that's just because there was you said it was like there was certain parts that were too violent. I thought that the there was certainly moments that were supposed to be shocking and obviously that was Ridley Scott's intention and why they weren't in the the theatrical release and why they were in the the final cut but for instance there was a moment um like some of the fight sequences were just really in my opinion like really poorly done like it didn't feel real it didn't feel like these characters were on in threat or were actually I don't know, the choreography and the way they were shot just felt really just off. There was, like, a moment, especially... There was, like, a fight scene um, where... I can't remember who it was. I think it was... I think his name was, like, Leon or something. It was one of the, the rogue ones, the one that Rachel saves uh, Deckard yeah. from. Yeah, Leon. Yeah. And that whole sequence just felt really, really strange. Like, for a Blade Runner who is supposed to be, like, really... I don't know, It just it just felt the fight the choreography and the way the fight sequence of the shot just felt I don't know how to describe it in, in a way not they weren't bad they just felt like they were um, it just didn't feel real like it didn't feel mm. tangible like a real fight and it kind of again it's like that slow motion sequence it kind of pulled me out of the story I just thought this just looks a bit silly at parts, like the fight the fight sequences just felt I don't know. They didn't feel like like real fights.
0: See I don't think it I really um dwelled on it too much of that stuff, but with you know you say about the um some of the scenes, I actually do think looking back there were scenes that maybe like the, the scene where he's in the bar with, with talking to that guy seemed a little unnecessary and maybe padded out a little bit too much. But I think when it comes to the uh, re- the replicants and the strange behaviour, like with uh, Roy, in, in both in the apartment and dealing with Tyrell, I think that whilst there was a little bit strange and maybe perhaps slightly out of character, uh, I think it comes from the panic and the fear that he, as someone that is kind of more human than human, is has an amplified feeling of the same fear that uh, primarily drives all humans uh, or a or large majority of humans. In that he's just so desperate to survive, and he's just trying everything he can just to try and take something while he can and he just i think it's just a, a panic about him that that is almost justified in in his uh his motivation um sure, i think I'm... there is there is one of the things i don't know how you feel that I i I'm, I'm i'm kind of taking my time to uh, to insult it now but it doesn't stop me I do think the plot is one of the weaker sides to a film but i think that um you know sometimes people need to realize uh, not you, I mean, but you know, when it comes to more um, kind of casual uh, film uh, reviewing or whatever, I think a lot of people uh, focus all on plot. I think that, um, that Blade Runner is a film which I think proves that plot is not always the most important part of any film because I think it stands up so well whilst having plot flaws. And one of the only... Th- and I, I don't want to sound like I'm dissing the film because... I absolutely adored it, and it's instantly one of the films that I you know I, I I really want to watch it again. Ever since I finished it, I want to go watch it again, and I probably will watch the theatrical run too to compare the, the differences. But one of the only things that I thought was a a little strange at the time, and didn't occur, didn't, I didn't remember when I was writing down my notes or or when I was uh, doing my kind of uh, monologue about uh, world building a minute ago. But as um, I just thought, you know, one thing that was I felt slightly hard to believe, and I thought slightly strange. Was the nature of um, Harrison Ford's character um, uh, Deckard's his um, his re- relationship with Rachel, which I, I thought was um, slightly, I don't know, yeah, there was... like she um, sudden like, but like, I see they're getting on at the start and like he's like chatting with her and when when they're in the bar and stuff and he goes round there, and she's crying and have a drink together. It all makes sense, I think. Um, and then it's like he comes in and he's like, um, "Say you love," and he's like, um, "Say, tell me, say, kiss me." And then she's like, "Doesn't." He's like, "Say, kiss me," and then all that stuff. And he's like, "You know, do you love me?" It was all a little bit rapey, and like,
1: yeah, there were certain. I've seen, I've heard criticisms of of that part of the film. Um, yeah, and then
0: they go off and they they're all like happy days, like jumping the you kind of the fly off from the sunset grease style at the end, especially in the theatrical cut where you don't actually see it in the. In the, in the cut we watched but the fact that they're going to go off a happy families at the end like you know like she she kind of doesn't actually ever say she really like loves but you mate
1: I think the thing with that as well is that if yeah it did feel a bit jarring at first but I I don't know I guess it depends how much you uh, this is obviously 2049 now um now I won't say anything cause for spoilers purpose but there is a moment in 2049 where there is a hint of reasoning behind that connection. Mm. Um, and it's that's another thing with twenty forty nine which I didn't I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be intentionally ambiguous or if it was supposed to just be a flat out confirmation. Um, but yeah, with with the original Blade Runner, as you say, the plot is probably one of the weaker elements, but not by no means is is shockingly isn't you know, it doesn't Mm-hmm. Diminish the quality of the film. It just doesn't necessarily elevate it to a high level for me, at least personally. I thought the dialogue. I, I thought we're... the dialogue was really good, and in, in parts, though, especially um, towards the end of the film, um, with mm-hmm. obviously Roy's speech, which has been widely acknowledged as you know one of the one of the best deaf soliloquies in any film. Yes, definitely. Um, but even just there was like so many sort of really pertinent one line piece of dialogue throughout the film um, which you know called into question like the nature of humanity and like pulled on the themes that he was trying to present and the characters for all intents and purposes were, were pretty well, well well written there was just as I say like the plot was probably one of the, the weaker elements and maybe I don't know certain characters like Terrell weren't really fully explored at least to my liking in terms of like they were kind of just mm-hmm. there for like narrative purpose just to have some kind of person there but maybe that's the point of of the their thing like they're just you know as as normal as as anyone they're not like they don't need to have this massive status for for the you know not for the narrative that's being told
0: okay so we're putting kind of uh to the one and a half hour mark, so we, we should uh, push on to uh, to the last film, to uh, the second film uh, and the shorts, the, the thing. I'm just going to quickly say that um, the original um, the original book of which Blade Runner is, is uh, based off is um, called uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which I think isn't yep. much an name. I was like, oh, I wish they'd name it <laughs> that. And I thought, well, to be fair, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep 2049 probably wouldn't have been as attractive a title, so <laughs> it kind of justifies itself with the second one. So we're going to go talk now about uh, our thoughts on 2049, and um, but quickly, um, just you know, I'm not going to give our, our full details of the uh, of them, but between the two, they uh, in the build-up to the uh, 2017 release of Runner uh, 2049, uh, there was a few short, there were three short films produced um, by uh, different creative teams um, about. So they're set in different years. So the first film was set in 2019. The second film is clearly set in 2049. Um, and then there was there was three short films produced. One was an, an anime, 50, about 50 minute long anime, uh, about the blackout that occurs in 2022 that gets rid of the Tyrell replicants. There was a, there was a 2038 one, which I think, I believe is titled Nexus Dawn or something like that. Um, yeah. With, uh, you know, featuring uh, Jared Leto and, and Benedict Wong, um, obviously Benedict Wong, who doesn't appear in the main film. Um, Talking about and and leading to the creation of the um, what's the name of the second, uh, the well is it no I forget <laughs> that's it
1: um it is the, Wallace, Wallace is W something yeah I think
0: yeah it's Wallace I said yeah.
1: Wellick then because of a TV show Mr Robot when his Tyrell Wellick is one of the characters
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's Wallace. It's Wallace. The Wallace yeah, Corporation. Always, yeah. So then there's 20 there's 2038 Nexus Dawn, and there was a 2048, and I can't remember what that was called. If you might remember, mm, it's
1: running. like running, is it?
0: Yeah, running from something. Running from nothing. Um, starring uh, Dave Bautista, who clearly is in the um main film and uh, and shows uh, why he. Uh, is kind of in farming uh, of his farm. I think why he kind of basically goes into hiding after the events of of that, and and um, his role as as, um, as a replicant in, in society, and you know all that stuff. And uh, I'm not going to go into full details over the shorts, but because um, we're running out of time. But I will say for myself, especially the anime one, which I thought was really good. Um, I think they did enhance the universe, and I think they did nice to bridge the gap and give details that, whilst they're explained in um In the 2049, I think, were nicely fleshed out within the three shorts. Would you Would you agree? How would you feel about them? I
1: thought those like shorts really good. um I uh, the animated one was for me was the best, probably of the mm-hmm. three. Yeah, definitely. Um,
0: for me, definitely.
1: But yeah, I I can see why they were made. um The the thing is with those is that I, I hadn't actually heard of them until you mentioned them. Um, yeah, I was them
0: out just last night. Yeah,
1: story. and obviously with 2049, um when that came out, I don't know how well pushed those shorts were before people saw twenty forty nine, but I feel like having seen those definitely helped to understand some of the background information, some of the sort of as you mentioned, like the bridging the gap between the two the two stories. Um but obviously you take into account that Blade Runner twenty forty nine is two hours forty some minutes. And then you have three. I mean, the shorts were shorts. Uh, they were by no means uh, like extensive or anything. But I do, I, I do wonder how many people who saw 2049 and had already seen the original Blade Runner and hadn't read the book. I don't know. I don't know if the. I don't know how much of the. I don't know. Just the is 2049 based on? I believe it's The source, materi- source material. It's original. It's original. Okay. I, believe yeah, so. I thought. Yeah, I thought so. Um, because I wasn't sure how many people who'd read the book and or seen the original film and then went to see 2049 would have seen the shorts. Because I feel like if I hadn't seen the shorts, it wouldn't. the 2049 would have been even more complex. So I don't know whether they were pretty well advertised or whether they were kind of a bit more niche, I don't know. But if I hadn't seen those shorts, I feel like certain elements of 2049 would have been harder to at least initially, you understand.
0: Yeah, and I think they did a good job of removing the exposition that was required at the beginning of the original Blade Runner, as they kind of made that a little bit simpler, because, um, you know, at the beginning of, of uh, Blade Runner is a fat wall of text, Star Wars style, <laughs> to, to get you into the uh, universe. But I think they did a good job of removing that for yeah. the shorts. So it's a shame, yeah, maybe shame that more people didn't know about them. But yeah, they only add up to about 20 minutes in total, all three. But, you know,. Uh, swiftly, let's get into the uh, 29.49 review. uh, I started last time, so I'll let you start. Give me your views on Blade Runner 2049. This is spoiler-free. We're doing the spoiler-free section first. Um, Okay, spoiler-free. Yes. Okay. Go for it. So,
1: 2049, I thought... I mean, much of this discussion now, I'm assuming, is going to be grounded in comparison. um, Because I think it's kind of hard to obviously there's an overlapping character, there's an overlapping story, there's an overlapping theme, so it's kind of hard not to discuss 2049 without talking about Blade Runner. So I Mm -hmm. did prefer 2049. Um, It is
0: definitely a sequel where you hear people discuss which one's better. So I think it's a worthy discussion to have. Yeah.
1: And I personally thought that I was more... I, I felt more invested in... The characters, I felt more invested in what was happening, um, and obviously that's obviously testament to the original film because it set up this amazing world which we didn't need, you know, we didn't need to have that initial period of uh, of of a protagonist just sort of roaming around and exploring because we'd already had that set up in the first film. Obviously there there is some element of that for people who haven't seen the first film or just you know that is part of the film um, anyway, but no, there was. Um, there were certainly elements of 2049, which I really, really, really liked. Um, Visual effects, obviously, um, absolutely amazing. Cinematography was just from... Basically, everything from Blade Runner was just kind of elevated, and obviously that's down to, you know, timing and the fact that it's been, what, some 40, 30, whatever, how many years it's been um, since the original came out, 35. So, you know, that's... That's kind of to be expected, but you know, if as a stand, even as a standalone, if you'd just taken Blade Runner twenty forty nine and said, "Here's a film," I think that it the, the visual effects in that film, cinematography, set design was just incredible because it it won for visual effects, didn't it? Um, yes, uh, and
0: yeah. cinematography.
1: Yeah, so it's like no surprise there to be honest, because mm-hmm. like. And, I don't know, I just felt, like I said, I felt more invested in the characters. Um, and it felt more, it did feel more real. And like I mentioned earlier with the the choreography and stuff, like the fight scenes in this felt like really visceral and really physical and real. And it kind of helped me to stay in the, to stay like in the story. Um, and I don't know, just the whole the whole thing was just, the package was just amazing. Like the visual effects, I don't know. I can go about them all day because, like, I, I'd heard people talk about how good this film looked, um, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'm sure it'll be good. Like Blade Runner, I've heard is good, and but then I watched this, and like some of the some of the things that happened in that film, like there's the whole, um, oh, it's just I, I don't I can't say anything. But was not some of the spoilers. There's like the moment where there's like the two. There's, like, the AI and, like, the physical person.
0: Yeah. We we will go into spoilers in a second, so if you want to leave it for a second before I add that, the massive spoiler that, that,
1: that Those effects just... I don't know. There's just something about this film where... from Just from the opening sequences and, like, the scenes of, like... Um, you know, the, the city and... The, I don't know. It, it was just so nice to look at that you'd never looked at the screen and thought that, that had some like a lot of effort hadn't gone into like the framing and like the composition and the lighting, especially like, the lighting in this as well. Like there was like certain moments in the lighting where, where I was just like, it's, 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 there's like moment where I talk about specific moments in the film, which I don't want to talk about because of spoilers. Yeah. But like there's one moment in like the third act of the film with Harrison Ford and Ryan save it, Gosling.
0: Save it for two minutes. i was just literally two minutes. I'll give okay. my big spoiler warning. Okay, okay, so...
1: That moment, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, there's just so many cool things in this film. And, like, there was, like, the, there, was like there was, like, callbacks to the original film, which I really appreciated, I especially having seen, just having seen the the second one. Mm-hmm. There was, like, the the very openings, there's, like, the very opening bit of the rain. Yeah. Not very, no, not very opening bit, but, like, fairly early on, there's, like, a moment with rain where it's a complete contrast to the original film. Obviously, in the original film, the rain is, like, sort of setting up this, like, dour, like, dull environment. Um, it's like constant downpour throughout the thing. And then, obviously, at the end of the film, you have the, the speech from Roy about the moments being lost, like, um like tears in the rain. Then it's, yeah. like, a complete contrast to uh, that moment early on with, with the rain. Um I also really liked how they... Because, obviously, in the original Blade Runner, you have this... Uh, replicants versus human um, Mm -hmm. like debate and um, the themes throughout and then they kind of pulled in the AI side of things as well which I thought was really interesting, like they pulled the AI so like the non-physical versus the physical sort of thing into that whole conversation, I thought that worked really well Um, and like just the dialogue as well which was really, really good there's a, there's also one moment as well which I just wanted to mention because I thought it was really interesting like really funny there's like um, it was like I can't remember if it was who said it I think it was I can't remember who it was but one of the characters says to um to Ryan Gosling at, like to Kay at some point and in the beginning sort of near the beginning of the film he says something about how he doesn't smile yeah and it's like one of those like meta film moments because obviously like Ryan Gosling has this like brooding silent like archetypal character you know like if you've seen drive or yeah, or yeah. whatever you, he has this like kind of very archetypal character and i just thought like moments like that in films always make me smile because like they're, they're like acknowledging the fact that like obviously it's a film like there's the audience who have seen like ryan gosling and like know like about him and stuff like just calling upon stuff like that and obviously, that callback was interesting. There was like the callback to the previous films as well, like in certain moments, which I thought was, which was really well done. And uh, yeah, just all round, I, I much preferred like the the narrative of this film, what happened, um, and yeah, the visual effects and cinematography, cinematography obviously were like amazing.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, um, I'll, uh, I'll I'll go into to my spoiler-free bit before I uh, in, introduce the uh, the spoiler warning in case anyone actually. Cares for whether one of see is film and they haven't. But for the non spoiler bit, I'll say that um, Blade Runner 2049 for me um, echoes, it, it's for me very much the original Blade Runner on crack in a nice Warner <laughs> Brothers themed bow because it's for me very similar. Like uh, when I say the Warner Brothers themed bow, I think it's, it's a narratively simpler. Uh, Maybe a bit more built for a cinema audience than um, than the original Blade Runner, which I imagine would have confused the fuck out of me if I didn't know what it was about back in 1982, Um, not knowing anything about what it was trying to be. Um, It's it's it kind of but so this is narratively easier to follow, uh, especially in the in the first couple acts of the film, Um, and but it is so much uh, say on crack because much like the first film, I feel like the Visual effects are beautiful. You know, we're we're blessed with the, the technology of, of of the now um, that we didn't have in 1982. Um, but the the CGI, the 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 space, the flying cars, and the uh, sit in the landscapes and the waterfalls, just absolutely beautiful. The music, actually, I think, is even better than the first film. Oh, for sure, yeah. That, yeah. I,
1: the first one was amazing, but this the yeah. I I said before the music as well. It's like compared it to like some of like the more recent like sci-fi films, mm-hmm. especially like superior ones. But you know, obviously not just superhero films, like over over sci-fi films. Yeah, it's nowhere near. It's like in your face, epic, loud. Mm-hmm. It's so like ethereal and like just sort of nuanced in the background. Has this like kind of really nice motif that goes throughout and like links the especially the two films, but also like within the films like this kind of moments that happen. Well, like um, I said in the
0: first one, which doesn't encroach on the narrative at any point. It's just a lovely exactly, incident yeah. and it just leads the tone. Um, yeah, And in, I think that, you know, it, it's quite similar in that way, you know, the lighting's great, the cinematography is excellent, it's like the first film, but much like where the first film uh, succeeds, I feel like the it echoes a lot of the complaints I have, um, I have probably, like you said you preferred the 2049, I would definitely be inclined to say I preferred the original. Um, really? I, yeah, I felt and like i don't want to sound meat-heady at point i actually did get bored at points of 2049 i th- i thought there were especially towards the end i thought it got a bit samey i thought it was retreading the i always felt like i was um one step ahead of the character i always felt like i worked out what he was going to discover 10 minutes before he did um you know i won't get into the details until i add a spoiler warning in a second but um i was i just felt like um i wasn't as uh... there were points where in the first film where I, it took a while to get attached to uh, the main character uh, and I felt the same way in this and it took me a while to actually care about Kay, I think uh, maybe Ryan Gosling um, obviously, obviously is an excellent actor maybe sometimes his lack, as you say, he's always a bit dow. he's always a bit, you know, he doesn't smile as I say sometimes that made me find it hard to emphasise with him to uh, really, I didn't, I could never really tell the difference of of you know he's obviously this internal struggle with um is he you know he about his humanity being a replicant, and I felt like sometimes that wasn't symbolized well enough, and I felt like sometimes it just came across like he didn't care about situations he was happy to get bossed around um but there were some clearly excellent things uh with i i thought the direction with his his girlfriend um the the joy um who he's not really spoilers quite early on who's played by an drama, so I thought she was excellent like and if you a bit of the Keanu Reeves syndrome from from a couple of years ago is that she's now in everything like Anna de Armas am I pronouncing that correctly she is in yeah, absolutely yeah. everything now um, and she was in she's gonna be in uh, she's a new Bond girl she was in Knives Out last year she was in this she was in um the Informer which came out last year it just seems like was- maybe-
1: was Blade Runner twenty four nine her like first big film?
0: I think because that I, was what really that's the first time I remember hearing about her, but I don't know if she it just seems like I hear her name everywhere. She's fan casting about every film ever. It just feels like she's um constantly yeah. talked about her. and I feel like I start with that in, in maybe uh and and I think she uh, she's gonna obviously you know one of the best um I still say fairly upcoming because she's not like established with the names at the top of the uh the lists uh when it comes to actors and actresses um but she is you know she's this one and she was excellent in this film i thought she portrayed uh i'm not going to go into to details but she portrayed kind of a semi kind of number of characters she's kind of the, the face of the company um and and she she portrays that really well um throughout uh throughout the film in, in a number of different roles and um i thought but and i think that this isn't a spoiler actually this should be a spoiler the thing is that i'm annoyed <laughs> that harrison ford is on the um poster because he's not in it for a lot of the film you stick on the poster that means everybody knows what's the first thing you see when you go watch film or you, you know you see the poster in the trailer Like i don't think that he should have been on the poster that's just my thing i think that was giving it away a little but uh, i thought that his yes. character was creepy which is obviously not hard thing. Is he is creepy um and I
1: thought I thought he was, given the whole Suicide Squad, he's so bad. Like, he's not a bad stuff. actor,
0: by the way. I no, don't think Joe no, that I mean, is a bad
1: actor. I don't think I've seen him in anything before. But correct me if I'm wrong, if it's something that's really obvious that he's in, I've just forgotten about. But I don't think I've ever seen, I've never seen Suicide Squad properly. I've seen bits from Suicide Fight Squad. Fight Club? you seen Fight Club? Oh, is he, is he in Fight Club?
0: Yeah, he's uh, he plays, um, what's his name? He plays uh, Angel Face in Fight Club.
1: I've uh, completely forgotten he was in Fight Club.
0: But yeah, he's not a big character. He's he like he's in. He plays. Uh, have you seen American Psycho?
1: Yes, I've seen that. Oh, he plays his friend. in He that plays game. the
0: one that um that goes missing, doesn't he? He he plays the one that he thinks he's killed for the whole film. Uh, yeah, Paul Allen.
1: Yeah, yeah. he plays Paul Allen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. So, but I've not. I don't think I've seen him in anything that's like like he's got a massive role in. Um. Yeah, like, maybe like a, not, yeah. yeah, Fight Club, Blade Runner, yeah, I've yeah, I've not um, I've not seen Dallas Buyers Club either. So I've, but yeah, I, I thought that he was he was pretty good in, like, the thing as well as you mentioned before when car- when actors are having to play. They're having to play, humanoid robot slash bio robot, whatever you want to class them as, um. Characters okay.
0: You know what? I'm gonna gonna do it. I'm gonna boom. This this podcast is a lot longer than I thought it was gonna be, and we're hitting (laughs) the 150 mark. But I am now issuing the spoiler warning. Uh, uh, now from now on, we're saying spoilers. Um, we're not going to talk about for ages because we're coming towards the end, and we're not going to do a two and a half hour podcast. But I'm now issuing a spoiler warning. Um, so if you want to listen after this for our announcing last next week's um feature. Then you can skip to the end, it will be in the description. Um, but yeah, spoilers. You can say spoilers now. Spoilers.
1: Okay, yeah, so. I. So yeah, obviously, as you mentioned before, actors playing people who aren't people but are supposed to be like people mm-hmm. is probably one of the hardest things that they're going to have to do. Like, it's kind of got that Westworld vibe to it, um, where they're playing. People that are supposed to be like people but aren't people. Yeah. Um, and in a similar vein, I thought that Jarrelletto as that um, that guy who was obviously like blind. Um, when he's not blind. Yeah. I just I just thought that was like because he had to be, he had to be so, like I don't know what the word is not not tactile but like he had to be so. I don't know how to describe it because obviously he has those like drone things which like allow him to see or whatever, um, or like allow him to interact with things. But yeah. like he, he I don't know. There's like moments where he was just so. I just thought he was really good in that role of like having to play this guy who, um, yeah. And I said he was like really not. I don't know if cre- I don't think he was as creepy. Maybe as, um, there was another character who. I don't know, I think a different film but no he, he, yeah there was um yeah he was he was really good in that role I thought
0: Yeah I think he uh he did a, yeah and um he did kind of kind of kind of like slimy and and, um, and businessy and and but you know I um I, I thought there was there was you know I am I'm downplaying it. I do think it was a great film um when I'm going for ratings wise I gave the other one I think I would if, if I'm going for you know let's say stars I'll go for you know probably four and a half for, for Blade Runner 1. This one, probably three and a half, you know, maybe a, a four, you know, it's a seven or eight out of ten. Um has some great, great scenes. I think the scene where he shot the fake Rachel in the head, uh, or, or he didn't shoot, but he, Jared Leto's uh, assistant shot her in the head. Uh, it was brutal. You know, she has green eyes scene. That was excellent. Um, but, you know, as I said, is that whilst the um, twist that he wasn't his son was um well done and and i would have guessed it um i felt like all of the small twists leading up to that were quite predictable it's like with the um the horse having the number underneath like i guess that was going to happen with that being his memory thing with the horse being in the um yeah in the furnace thing, with that being him, with him being the kid. it's so all of it kind of led along. I kind of, every, all the time, assumed, like, okay, he's going to go to his house now. I just kind see, of felt... Thing, it kind of... I it was always felt, like, one step ahead of the character. See, the thing is that I've... The way
1: I felt about that particular issue was... I kind of felt... If it was... um if we were having moments that were completely out of the left field, like he found something that you know, completely was against everything that had gone before and it led him down this path and he, whatever, like I, I kind of liked that it was kind of grounded in some kind of almost tangible reality that he was finding these things that weren't necessarily really, really massive, groundbreaking pieces of evidence, but he was still he was still, like, having to progress through that, like, journey. Because if it was, like... Like, the fact that we were able to predict certain parts, for me, it didn't feel like a detriment to the story. It just kind of felt like, well, yeah, that's how it would naturally progress. Like, that's how... Like, that's how it would happen if someone was investigating this. Because it wasn't like they were throwing out completely left-field piece of evidence that, you know... Radically changed their perspective on whatever. Like they were just—he was just finding these pieces of evidence that were like pointing him towards the the direction, um, that he was like going down in terms of like the narrative. But I also, I don't know. The, like, for instance, with that with the thing about him potentially being the kid and it not being him, and then it was actually the the memory designer, or whatever. Um, because I was like. There's, like, a part of the film... So, at the beginning of the film, he's obviously, like, trying to work out, like, who the kid is, or trying to find the kid. That's, like, his, his, his assignment that he's got to do. And then, like, by the end of the film, you obviously realise that, like, he's discovered that it's not him. There's like, a, there's, like, a very small moment, like, very small part of the film where I wasn't sure. Like, I, I kind of clocked. I was like, okay, so they're going to go down the route that, oh, oh he's the kid, and yeah. that he's going to find out that it's him. Yeah, and there's a moment where between him realizing it wasn't him and him realizing it was him, where I was, I was like, "Is that supposed to be the kind of narrative like twist that it is him?" Like, yeah, because it wasn't explicit. It wasn't made explicit. Like, even with all the evidence that he'd found, it was like, "Oh, it could just be that um, someone else's memories." It was someone else's memories that had implanted, and that like, it was like, it was someone else's memories but they'd been implying to him for whatever reason and that he wasn't the actual kid but he'd had that kid's memories, whatever and like I thought they were going to go down that route then I was like okay they're going to just make it because is the actual big big twist going to be that it actually is him and then like I don't know I liked that it wasn't him but I also well I mean you could interpret it different ways I guess depending on how much lineage you want to give to what happens but I think that I liked that because like like I say, there was a moment in the film where I was like Oh, so it is him and then I was like that I was like, okay, that's the twist, then that's the twist, that it actually is him, it's supposed to be him, and then they kind of just completely like subverted what mm-hmm. I expected with with the ending. Mm-hmm. Um and like do I still do have like questions, like not necessarily like film breaking questions, but like certain yeah, parts where I was like just certain parts where I'm like, Okay, so did she know that she was the daughter or did she know where he was or did he know where she was or, like, there, was, yeah, there were certain parts yeah. where I was, like, are we, supposed to, are we supposed to know this? Is this supposed to have been told to us? Like, there were certain parts, for sure, where it was more, as I said, with the original film, more show, don't tell. But also, there's certain moments where you kind of, as an audience, expect or at least need to be told that certain things are or aren't true. Um, and, yeah, there's, for sure, there were certain moments where I was, like, Am I supposed to actually know this? Am I supposed to actually. or am I supposed to know anything at all? Like, for instance, you know, um, so they had a kid, and it's it's never actually confirmed that Harrison Ford is a replicant, but you kind of assume based on the first film, and then the fact that Jared Leto's character, uh, Wallace, says, you know, that he was programmed, they were programmed to fall in love, or whatever.
0: Yeah, um, he kinda, and he goes like. You
1: can, you can interpret that as him just manipulating him to try and get information, or whatever. But the the there were certain moments where I was like, okay, so if that is, so it's his kid, and whether he is human or not, um, like he's had a kid with a re- replicant, yeah. Then it's never it's never made clear whether because obviously the kid has memories and draws upon those memories to implant onto into K, but then it's never made clear. Okay, so if she remembers the orphanage to implant in that story, then surely she remembers a time when she was with that woman who's involved with the underground replicant people. Do mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, it's kind of not. It's not—it's ne- never made clear. Like, does she know that Harrison. F- does she know about Harrison Ford's character? Does Harrison Ford's character know where she is at all? Because it seems to be implied that he doesn't know where she is and he can't find her and he's never going to be able to find her because of the blackout, but then surely he. I mean he passed her he passed her over to the be adopted or by ta- be taken care of by the underground people. Mm-hmm. But then I don't understand the whole orphanage narrative, like the arc. Like, did she get put into the orphanage but then still still like overseen and made sure that she was safe by the underground replicants? Like it's never there's certain parts where you just kind of it's kind of just thrust on you and you kinda of like, Okay, well I've just kind of got to go with the story. But then in retrospect you kind of look back and think well does that do, do they know that does does Harrison Ford know where she is or not does he know who she mm-hmm. is does um I like does, I mean obviously that's that's kind of part parcel of cinema obviously we have to interpret things in our own way sometimes and things aren't just given to us on plates but like there's a, there was obviously even with the original as well there were certain parts where I was so confused as to, as to are they a replicant or are they not a replicant like yeah um is you know is Harrison Ford one, which is obviously the the big one, of big um obvious one. But then there's obviously in 2049, uh, Kay's superior. I can't remember what she was called. Um, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: her, yeah. I kind of was like getting vibes from her that she might be a replicant at one point, and like it, you know, he never addresses those sort of questions, and it in a way that's a, yeah, I guess a good thing. We're left we'll to uh to think about you know things for ourselves but then this, this does come a point where you kind of like i want to know you know what what was what what's going on with okay. those characters
0: so can well, as we're wrapping this up can you uh, give a uh, so you gave the first film a four star out of five uh, would you what would you be inclined to give 2049
1: it's a hard one
0: mm-hmm.
1: i think it was a i think it was a better film um but I think there's still too many moments that are too ambiguous or too unresolved or um, too like kind of not contrived but like following a kind of typical story so I'd probably go with 4.5 out of 5 I think
0: fair enough, fair enough that's uh that's fair point. You know, I as said I already gave my view. I Think it's a it has a few more flaws um, than the original film. Arguably, has a couple of things are better. I thought Anadamus was the, the uh, highlight of the film narratively. I love the idea of the the kind of uh, girlfriend that you can't really touch. The the uh, the, the projected uh, lover that herself has independent thought that was great it was clearly a bleaker film than the last one it had kind of semi-Mad maxi vibe with the, the dust cities but yeah. maybe whilst for me I, I felt like oh I wish it was a bit more cityscape maybe you can't spend two films in the same uh, place without changing uh, changing a little bit but yeah clearly uh, two films that I think deserve their cult status uh, deserve uh, the love they get uh, were the rare situation where it's actually worth discussing whether sequel's better than the original if not uh, and I would fully accept people saying either way to be honest and I'm feel very happy. I think you'd agree that I am happy to say that I've seen these films. I'm very happy to say I have.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. And, there uh, are two great films.
0: And I think that wraps it all up. Uh, those are our views for Blade Runner and Blade Runner twenty four nine. I both, both think I'm both quite excited for uh, Villain Waiver's next upcoming project, June, which is coming out. Oh yeah, uh, whenever yeah. That's pretty
1: high on my uh, anticipating list mm-hmm. as we well. All... Just just saying, sorry.
0: As I say, we all love a bit of Chalamet.
1: <laughs> yeah for sure um, Lady Bird is always well, good in that and I'm looking forward to watching Coin By Your Name when I get on to watching that soon um, but no one of the just just to finally just to wrap up one, one thing as well um, I think these are films for sure that if you watch again like rewatch them mm-hmm. um, you will really really appreciate them a lot more and if you did like the Anadolmus AI slash girlfriend slash whatever um, like ARC then I would definitely recommend you watching um, her if you haven't seen
0: that. Yes, yeah, that's a yeah, good, good, uh, good comparison. And welcome back to uh, anyone that pressed uh, for, to skip the other spoilers. Uh, We've finished our reviews, and now all there is left to get to, to do uh, this podcast is a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, is we're going to just introduce uh, next week's films. So um, he has, you have a shame list on on your letterboxed. Um, of, of films that you hadn't seen that you know that everyone else has seen, and I looked through that and I thought hard, long and hard, and I decided that next week for next episode uh, you are going to have to watch, and I'm going to rewatch as well because I would love to watch it again because it's just a great film. Is uh, is Goodfellas, the 1990 uh, gangster classic Goodfellas, um, and I actually don't know what film I'm going to watch. You haven't told me. Yet. I did tell you you were going to watch Goodfellas. I don't know. What am I going to watch?
1: Right, so you've seen her, haven't you, you just said. Yeah. Okay. Cuz I was I had one in mind, then I thought you said you hadn't seen it. Uh originally, so then I was going to change my mind to that based on what you just said, but now I'm going to change back because you've already seen it obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm going to go with you've not seen Get Out, have you?
0: I've not seen Get Out.
1: Right, that's going to be my recommendation then. So lovely stuff. You are watching Ghetto, and I am watching Goodfellas.
0: Two, uh, I'm going to go as far as I say two not very similar films. No. Let's try and see <laughs> if we can draw any narrative similarities uh, in next week's review. Um, but yeah, that should be coming out next week. Uh, that should be coming out uh, next Friday. Uh, this should be released on Friday the... Not on Friday the 26th. And um, yeah, so you can follow Jordan on Twitter, Jordan Luke. Sorry, I keep saying Jordan. You can, can, can follow you on Twitter at what's your what's your at? Uh, it's at by by and then Jordan Luke. And I'm currently in the process of setting a Twitter up. So by this time, I may have a Twitter. If so, it will be in the description. Um, and if in case um, any of you are happen to uh, to be in touch with any pop uh, big sponsors or want to ask any questions, you can always contact the show at nowshowingpod at gmail.com And thank you very much for listening to the first of hopefully many of series one of the Now Showing podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.